Time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Lots, as always, for us to chat about. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. Okay, let's go over this pandemic briefing yesterday that we heard from Dr. Henry. Like, we, they seem to be getting through to healthcare workers who aren't still vaccinated. But I got to tell you, I was surprised by the 906 or whatever it was nurses who remain unvaccinated. Yeah, it's still a high number, although... You know, the numbers of healthcare workers that are getting vaccinated is climbing. The insistence on vaccination mandates does seem to have slowly produced results. I think we've got, what, 1,500 people uh, in healthcare have gotten themselves vaccinated in the last few weeks. So slowly we're making progress. And as you heard again yesterday, there's no blinking on the part of Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix. They are sticking to the requirement. In fact, they're expanding it. So, um, and, and as they say, it does seem to be working, but it is not without consequences throughout the system. Closed operating rooms in a few places, surgical cancellations and delays, um, 300 a week, which is significant if you happen to be one of the people waiting. Uh, so it, it's a struggle, but the government is sticking with the course. Uh, you talked about consequences too. I mean, I guess that explains the Port Alberni pediatrician. Yeah, you know, once in a while, Dr. Bonnie Henry, tell us how you really feel, Dr. Henry, about this. Yeah. So, so there's a pediatrician in Alberni, one of only two, who was refusing to get vaccinated, and he's lost his hospital privileges. But he and uh, his family and some of his patients have started a petition to get them back. I think there's, what, almost 4,000 signatures on the petition. So give him back his privileges. So Dr. Henry got asked about this yesterday, and she said, well, if we're going to talk about privileges, health care workers need to recognize that we are very privileged. And with those privileges comes an obligation to keep our patients safe and our coworkers safe. And the way to do that is to get vaccinated. So she's not cutting this guy any slack. He's not getting his hospital privileges back until he gets himself vaccinated. There was a bit of hope held out for the holdout healthcare workers yesterday. Uh, Dr. Henry acknowledged this. So did Health Minister Adrian Dix. And they said that some healthcare workers have been saying, well, they're not opposed to vaccinations, which is reassuring, I guess, but they don't like the mRNA vaccine. So that's Pfizer, Moderna, their new kind of vaccine. They don't think that, you know, the science is all there and proven. So the BC government is going to be offering, as soon as it's available, and it will be very soon, I think in the next week or so, J&J vaccine. So it is a more traditional kind of vaccine against COVID-19. It will be offered on a priority basis, first come, first serve to healthcare workers. So if the healthcare workers who are saying they don't like Pfizer and Moderna, but they will take another kind of vaccine, that will be available and maybe that will help reduce the numbers as well. Okay, I find that so interesting that that they're offering this option. But again, it's BC's approach is that they seem to be just chipping away at the numbers, right? Chipping away. Yeah, just chipping away, and they need to, Simi. You know, they're the, the, I guess the one thing the government doesn't make a big deal of here, and, and in fact sometimes avoids the question, is our case count, our hospitalization rate, our ICU rate, and our death rate in long-term care is all on a per capita basis higher 
than, say, Ontario and Quebec. B.C. government would sooner you made comparisons to Alberta and Saskatchewan, but the fact is the two big provinces in the east have gotten better results. And so B.C. needs to stay on top of this, needs to do this. I was struck yesterday, Simi, by a, a sense of deja vu when Dr. Henry listed off the way we should approach the holiday season which sounded an awful lot like last year's messaging about staying safe in small groups and bubbles. And and I'm sure the advice is good, but it's a reminder that, you know, this time last year we we were just starting into vaccines and we were deep in the second wave. We had the third wave. We're now in the fourth wave. And it's still a struggle to stay on top of this. We're still getting good advice, Mm -hmm. prudent advice, to stay safe and minimize the spread because we still haven't mastered this thing yet in spite of all the developments over the past year. Right, and let's talk quickly about ski hills here too because we spoke to a Whistler doctor on Monday and she was talking about her concern that in Whistler you don't have to, you know, be vaccinated to go skiing and she's concerned about the gondolas. Yeah, I think uh, they must have been listening (laughs) to me because I heard that interview you did as well and she said, oh, you know, you, you try to get people to put on the masks and in gondolas and they tell you to go to hell, right? (laughs) So Dr. Henry said yesterday, made a point of saying, hey, listen, a gondola is an indoor space. You have to be masked in there. And the health minister, Adrian Dick, said he talked to the mayor of Whistler and he heard him and the operators at Whistler need to toughen up up there. And he said he hopes they will. So, Yes, they're keeping a very close eye on the ski resorts. It's true. We don't see a lot of spread through ski resorts. Well, we did last year. Yeah, we did. So, um, again, I'm really struck at how um, there certainly is no one-size-fit-all solution on this, and there's no magic bullets, even the vaccines. It's a long struggle, and I will give, well, I think the B.C. government can be faulted for downplaying its results sometimes, I think they can be given considerable credit for continuing to just slog away, even if it's one case at a time. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some politics in the B.C. Liberal leadership, too, because this has been such a fascinating topic this week. I know our Jazz Joe Hall has been uh, yeah. definitely talking about this, but what the heck was Renee Merrifield thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I see Jazz is now under attack from Renee Merrifield's manager for raising this issue. But here's what happened on the weekend at an online liberal event. Renee Merrifield did this thing where she said, you know, yeah, sure, the, this diversity issue. Well, NDP practices token diversity. And she said they don't really the party is still and the government is still run by old white guys. Well, you know, I've paraphrased what she said, but clearly she was suggesting that the very prominent women and other groups that are represented very well in the NDP cabinet and government are just tokens, which is frankly, semi-ridiculous. You only need to look at Bowen Ma, Ravi Kalon, Katrine Conroy, uh, Chen. uh, You go through the list. There's a lot of significant influential ministers in this government. The New Democrats, for all the other things you might say about them, have done much, much better than the B.C. Liberals in promoting diversity in the government. And even the B.C. Liberals' post-mortem on the last provincial election said that, that 
And and even Kevin Falcon, the front runner in the race, says that. So Merrifield is being ridiculous, and she's adding to the problem by refusing to apologize. So I would say, Simi, that the B.C. liberal race, in, in one respect, has required a token idiot. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. I I am so confused by this, too, because I was wondering, well, what the heck is she talking about? Does that mean that any person of color who achieves a a place of prominence, if she says so, are they just a token? Like, when when is it genuine? And when is it, according to her, tokenism? Uh, She had a perfect chance to clarify, and the most recent posting I saw by her on social media was her whining about how she's being picked on, having endured all of this. Um, You know, I I delight in uh, hearing Jazz Joe Hall's uh, voice on the radio. I'm delighted that he came back to our industry from his weird foray into politics. (laughs) And if anybody wants to know why Jazz chose CKNW over running for the liberal leadership, which some people wanted him to do, read the incredible thread that he posted on his Twitter account. It's a 16-part thread explaining where the liberals have fallen down on diversity. Um, You know, this one, it's a bigger issue than maybe people might think it warrants because it exposes still a cultural divide between some parts of the Liberal Party and the New Democrats. Has anybody else in the BC Liberal leadership race commented on this? Uh, No, I haven't seen any comments yet on it. But, you know, as I said, you only need to go back to the Liberal Party's own postmortem on why they lost the last election where you will see the party itself has said we the, the NDP's done a much better job of promoting diversity. And, you know, the New Democrats paid a price for that politically because they brought in a recruitment policy called the equity policy. I remember policy. this, yeah. Yeah, and it cost them some nomination fights and probably cost them a couple of seats by insisting on diversity. But it got results. When the New Democrats took power in 2017, and you looked across the two parties in the House, and I sat there because I used to attend the legislature in those days, and uh, it was so obvious that you want the face of new British Columbia diversity, it was on the NDP side. You want old British Columbia, like me, it was on the Liberal side. And, you know, political parties have to do this, Many liberals have acknowledged they have to do it, and that's why what Merrifield said this over the weekend is so obnoxious. It's a setback for an effort that liberals themselves are mounting to promote genuine diversity um, and not tokenism. It's always something in BC politics. Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.